Hello, and welcome to Sex News with Ray. I'm your host, Ray, and today, Carly, stop laughing at me. And today we are joined again by Carly Bassian, who works as a sex ed consultant with teachers in the Ontario school system. Hi, everyone. Glad to be back. Okay, so Carly, today in Sex News, we are talking about Bill would start comprehensive sex ed in kindergarten for Washington students. Bill is not a person. They literally mean Senate Bill 5395, which would require all public school districts in Washington state to provide comprehensive sexual education that is evidence-informed, medically and scientifically accurate, age-appropriate, and inclusive. This article was published January 25th, 2020 from King 5, which I think is an American local news network, like a small one specifically for the city. This is some small local news we're talking about. The article ends by saying, Democrats say this will empower students. Republicans say each district should make its own decisions and people will pull their kids from school. Don't you love American articles for automatically dividing down that political binary? Yeah, I mean, it's really not that different with Canadian politics. I think they're just a little bit more polarized, whereas with us, the polar opposites are not that different all the time. Do you think attitudes are the same here in Canada? Just the idea that, like, liberals say this will empower students, conservatives say people will pull their kids. Yeah, I think historically, and I mean, specifically when it comes to sexual health education, that has often been the narrative. The liberals are very pro-sexual health education, holistic sexual health education. And then the conservatives come in and say, don't talk about sex because it's going to lead your kids to have sex, which, by the way, has been empirically proven time and time again. That is not the case. As an aside, really quickly, holistic sexual health education has actually been shown to decrease the likelihood of kids having sex and actually pro first time having sex. So just something to keep in mind out there, conservative group. In Canada, there is a a small minority, but a very vocal, pardon me, minority of people who are quite anti-sex ed. We saw this when there were a bunch of changes to the sex ed curriculum in Ontario from about 2015 to, you know, 2020. It's a very small group of people, but they are quite loud. But overwhelmingly, I would say at least in Canada, there's probably a stronger preference amongst parents for holistic sex education. We're not seeing that as much in American data. Just as an example, the last time I checked, I think it's something like half of all states in the United States require abstinence-based education or promote abstinence-based education, which again has been proven to not be effective to uh, delay onset of sexual activity and actually increases the chance of STBBIs. And from what I've seen, a lot of abstinence-based education is very sexist and gendered in their language and how they treat um, each gender. Like, you know, the man is the hot dog, the woman is the bun. And once exactly. you put the hot dog in the bun, you can clean off that hot yes. dog and use it again. But the bun is ruined. You know, those yes. kinds of metaphors. Yes. Oh, awful. I mean, we do say conservative and liberal, but the truth is we also have NDP. We also have the Green Party. We have a bunch of other small parties. And we do have some representation by NDP and the Green Party. And they're also pro-holistic sex education. Yes. And I know that there are lots of conservatives that are very social liberal in Canada. Like just in general, as you said, it's a vocal minority. Yes. I'm generalizing when I'm saying conservatives, right? Not every person who identifies as a conservative is anti-sex ed. 
It just so happens with the last election, the conservative platform really promoted that they were going to get rid of the sex education curriculum and, and revert it back to the 1998 curriculum. And, and they did keep their promise for a little bit. I mean, I do know that there are people who are very upset with that. The idea that now the conservative party is being socially conservative as well as fiscally conservative because Canadians want fiscal conservatism with social liberal values. And I, I hesitate to call this, some people have traditional family values, but that's sort of the words we use to describe that. I feel like that's still not the right way to describe it. But maybe I'm just trying to be particular so I don't offend anyone by accident. It's complex. It's so complex. And I mean, so a good example of someone who may be conservative and have these very nuanced values is Caitlyn Jenner, who just transitioned. They identify as trans and they support the trans community. But she was on Ellen DeGeneres and said that she doesn't believe in marriage equality. So you would you would assume that someone who's trans would support the gay community, but Caitlyn Jenner doesn't. So it's very complex. You can't just make a blanket statement to say that if you're conservative, you're anti-sex ed. It's so much more complex than that. And there's this assumption that if you're gay, you don't vote conservative. There's no such thing as a gay or black Republican. But but that's not true. That's not not true. true at all. I have lots of gay friends who are conservative. Right. Because for them, it's about how do we spend our our taxes? And not about now that now that there's, you know, marriage equality, that's not really the issue that we're talking about anymore. Okay, that's actually I mean, this was a tangent. I wasn't going to get political. My real question for you today is what does sex ed for kindergartners look like? In Ontario, at least, sex ed doesn't actually really begin until grade one. There's no formal curricula for junior kindergarten and senior kindergarten. So really, the health education piece starts in grade one. But that doesn't mean that we can't start having conversations about sex ed. And again, I always say sex ed in air quotes because it's very broad. So when I'm saying have sex ed chats with kids who are four years old, five years old, start with consent. I said this in the last episode. Talk about when you want to share toys with someone. If you want to give someone a hug, you have to ask first before you do that. And guess what? If that person says no, you need to respect that. And even if they said yes today, doesn't mean they're going to say yes tomorrow. So you have to ask again. So you start with the basics in a way that makes sense to kids. And then when you fast forward to when they're at the age where they start developing romantic feelings for others and maybe they're starting to date, you can then translate the, hey, remember when you ask a friend to hug before you hug? That means you have to ask your girlfriend before you kiss her. It's the same concept. So if you start early, those conversations will evolve much more naturally. Um, again, another... Oh. I was going to say, I have a tangent and I want to come back to kindergartners after. Well, you know this. I make a lot of sex ed themed TikToks. I love TikTok. TikTok is great. But I, a lot of people will comment and I made one about asking for consent and no means no and what no can sound like and how to ask for a yes. And there is such a clear misunderstanding of what that means. And we're going to get more into this in a future episode where we talk about consent. But I do know that a lot of people think that when you say you have to ask before you hug or ask before you kiss, they think that you're saying, uh, Carly... Uh, I think you're hot as fuck. Uh, can I jam my tongue down your throat? Like, do I have permission? Yeah, that's that's not consent. That's gross consent. It's, yeah, it's gross consent. But what you're saying is the same way that you would say, hey, do you want to hug today? Is the same way where you can say like, hey, can I have a kiss? Or hey, I'd really like to kiss you right now. How would you feel about that? Yeah. Or you could put on your sex phone operator voice, which I'm very bad at. But you could say it like, hey, I just really feel like kissing you right now. Carly, how would you feel about that right now? That's great, right? Yeah. Great role right. play. I'm impressed. <laughs> you know your consent. Right. And so the idea being your kindergartner isn't going to be like, hey, hey, friend, how would you feel about a hug right now? But they're going to be like, I'd be very concerned if a five-year-old was talking that way. Right. But it's the same thing where you can say to grandma, 
you have to ask before you hug or kiss my child and get their permission to do it and respect their no. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about that lately, actually, because I I had a, a cousin. I remember at a very young age, she didn't like hugs and her parents would always say, you know, it's okay. If you don't want to hug, you don't have to hug. And I come from a family of huggers. I come from a very traditional Canadian Jewish family where like hugging and kissing is just the thing you do. So it was very weird for me to even contemplate I have to ask her. But now looking back, like, oh, my cousins were just ahead of their time and they were teaching their kid what consent looks like. And that's just something for parents to keep in mind because we take that for granted, right? Hugging, kissing, relatives especially. You know, your kid might be uncomfortable. So teach them at an early age that it's okay to ask. It's okay to say yes or no. Right. And if someone doesn't respect your no, you tell an adult. Yes. A trusted adult who you know will back you up. Yes, 100%. Because not every adult is going to back you up. Not every adult is up to date on that conversation. Exactly. And so continuing on about conversations with parents and kids and kindergartners, another thing that's talked about at an early age in Ontario schools and pretty much across Canada is body parts. This was so interesting to me. That was one of the points of contention when the newer curriculum came out is that parents were really offended that kids would learn how to label their body parts properly. So in grade one, Students are expected to know how to identify penis, vagina, vulva. And there was a lot of outrage about that, which I still don't fully understand. And I think it comes back to sort of this sexual culture we live in of shame and not being able to be comfortable with their own bodies. The reason why it's so crucial is two reasons. So first reason, if you're teaching a kid at the age of five, six, seven years old that your penis, the word penis is dirty, how do you think they're going to internalize that? That's going to continue on for the rest of their lives. Again, such a fundamental developmental point. We want to make sure that we're teaching them to be comfortable just naming their body so they can be comfortable in their body. So that's reason one. Number two, it's for sexual abuse prevention. When you know we were just talking about eggplant emojis. You know, if a kid comes to you and says, like, my friend was playing with my eggplant, as a teacher, I'm like, oh, you're so cute. Go back to the playground. I have no idea what they're talking about. So when you're giving them the language to say, my friend was touching my breasts, that's a problem that I can address. When they come to me and say, my friends were playing with my flowers, I'm like, great, what do they look like, you know? Well, my my mother, who runs a very successful daycare... uh... (laughs) I'm going to do that every time. Okay, so my mother, who runs a very successful daycare, um, my cousin's kids go to her daycare and they call their grandmother Yaya. And my mother also has kids in the daycare who call their vaginas their Yaya. So can you imagine a teacher? Right. Are they talking about Bubby or grandma or it's a Jewish day- it's yeah, a Jewish yeah. daycare. So I'm going to say Bubby because what else are they calling them in a Jewish yeah. daycare? But yeah, are they saying Yaya to mean vagina or grandmother? And that can be very confusing. Like, oh, I kissed my Yaya today. What does that mean? Right big problem. And I get it because it comes from our discomfort. And I have, again, family friends, very progressive, very well-educated that will not let their kids use the words vagina, penis, vulva, testicles, because it just makes them feel really uncomfortable. But we have to consider the implications of that. You know what's a word we don't use ever? I don't even see this in erotica. Clitoris. You find so many different ways of saying it. Is it clitoris or clitoris? I say clitoris. Interesting okay, you say clitoris. Listeners, write in. How do you pronounce that word? I don't know. Tomato, tomato. I don't know. Just clit. Just go. Clit. Okay. So I see, I have seen as a nanny and just in general, I've seen many little girls masturbate in front of me because it just feels good. It happens. Right. I've seen little boys masturbate. But could you imagine just like how easy it would be to just be like, hey, child, 
We don't text our clitorises in public. That's a private thing. Text your clit in your room with the door closed, right? As opposed to, oh, no, 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 we don't do that here. We don't text our yaya in public. It's like, okay, that's, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also just another little tangent because you're just all these thoughts coming into my head. So very common. I'm sure there are people listening being like, oh, my God, like my child does that. Or, oh, I see that in my classroom all the time. It's very developmentally normal. Like, again, around age four, age five, that's when kids realize that touching their body parts feel good. It's really important to not shame them, though. And it's very easy to go, oh, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, because that's the immediate reaction. It's a private thing we do, and it absolutely is a private thing we do, but there is a way to say it that doesn't make them feel embarrassed. It's a private thing you do until you hit 18 and decide to put it on the internet. Well, no, hopefully not. (laughs) Got to make good choices. Wow, that um, was a judgment but, right there. Fair enough. Fair enough. That right you there. You just have to be safe. Yeah, I was going to say, but that right there is a is a is a something to unpack later. Like that, the idea that you don't want your child to be putting their naked body on the internet, right? Like, what is yeah, that value? Because again, I'm coming from you know working with teachers. I really hope that a 14 year old wouldn't be putting their. Oh, I said when you hit 18. Okay, you're an adult. Okay, if you're an adult, make your own choices. Go for it, right? Just understand what the potential implications are of that. Totally your call. Now I totally forgot what I was saying. Oh, I'm sorry. We're talking about masturbation being natural at the age of four or five. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. So with masturbation, thank you. Yeah, you're on on the track. So, um, you know, if you notice your kid or student in your classroom is masturbating, just say, you know what? I'm sure that feels really good. Totally fine if you want to do that. But that's usually something that we do in private in the privacy of our own bedroom or the bathroom. It's not something that we do in front of other people. And you just leave it at that. You're not saying that it's bad or good. You just, you're setting boundaries about when it's appropriate to do that behavior. And I think, so my mother, who runs a very successful daycare, um, has had to, <laughs> has had to do at least one parent call per year to, to family saying like, hey, we saw your kid masturbating. We had to have the conversation, just letting you know, you might want to reinforce this conversation at home. And here's a language you can use. I'm sure it happens more than once a year. Yeah. And uh, that ha- it, ha- it happens quite often. But this makes me, this also makes me wonder if kindergartners are masturbating at nap time or are texting themselves, why is it that boys start masturbating and it's like a public joke, but girls, it's not? Right. Like I know that when talking about masturbation in all female spaces, there was a large chunk of time where you had to lie and pretend you didn't and pretend it was gross. But with boys, you never had to. It's a joke. No, it's something. Yeah, it's something you're proud of. Yeah, I wonder because I feel like kids are getting the same message about masturbation. So I wonder what it is about the other external factors that lead to it's very gender right I mean thinking back to my own experiences and sex ed again masturbation was something that boys do it wasn't really something that girls do right um and then I think it's a camp where you and I met and meeting people our age you know 14 years old 15 years old you're like oh you also do that that's masturbating like I didn't even know when I was masturbating because it just wasn't something that we talk about yeah Listeners, as girls. listeners, you need to know that Carly bought me my first vibrator as a gift for my 15th birthday. It was small and I it was pink. I don't remember that. It was you or someone from... No, you you bought me for my 16th birthday. What? Are you sure? Yes, you're getting the story me, totally Then wrong. who bought me the pink one? Who was that? Someone I thought it was bought you. it for you and then you bought it for me for my sweet 16 and I opened it in front of my parents. Right. Okay. Well, I, yes. I, I opened mine in front of my mother. 
And then she, and then we, we're not normal. and then we had, a, no, but then we had a laugh about it. My mom went, ha, ha, ha. And my dad, who also potentially was overhearing this, was like, what the fuck? What, you know, but like in his mind, because my parents <laughs> don't swear. And my mom was like, it was just a funny joke. And then she let me put it away somewhere secret and never spoke about it again. And she allowed me my privacy. So thank you, mother. You're wonderful. My mother runs a You're successful teaching daycare. You're healthy, uh, <laughs> healthy relationships to her own body. Yeah. Thank thanks, you. Thank you. Raise mom. Thank you, Sherry. Um, okay. And also, I remember the pink vibrator you got me for my sweet 16. And because Ray's an artist, she made me a matching pink vibrator card that I actually probably still have. Yeah, I remember that. I think I've been painting you dicks your entire life. My my wedding gift to you, what like yes, the wedding was card a was a watercolor penis. A, yeah. Of a phallus. Yes. That is correct. It is sitting on my bookshelf. Um I need to frame it. Second penis shout out to Egan in two episodes. Okay, so uh <laughs> Egan is our producer's son, for those of you who are confused. Okay, so back to kindergartners, which is what yes, lots the of topic tangents. is. Honestly, oh, I just love talking about sex. So that's probably why we keep yes, going. Yes, so do okay. I. All right, so we have a general idea that sex ed for kindergartners, we're not talking about intercourse. We're talking about relationships. No. We're talking about feelings. We're talking about body parts. Who is teaching Good this? Hygiene. Good hygiene. Yeah. Okay, who is teaching this? You know, how are they teaching this? So who's teaching this? In Ontario, the way it works for most schools is that public school teachers, grades one through six, they're they're generalists. So they're teaching everything. So it's usually your kid's teacher teaching it. There's not usually a, a designated health teacher. In some schools, they will have a phys ed teacher that's separate from uh, the mainstream classroom. Health is lumped into phys ed in Ontario. So, you know, I've been trained to not use the word gym. It's really physical education, phys ed, and health. So that's part of the phys ed and health curriculum. That's where you would find the sex ed curriculum. How is it being taught? It depends school to school. Some people wait until the last two weeks of June when everybody's already on vacation mode um, and it doesn't really sit with anyone because everyone's just too busy thinking about summer break. So it often gets missed. It's never taken seriously. It's always an afterthought, which is why it's really important for you parents out there to make sure that you're keeping up with what your kids should be learning. And as a parent, it's really overwhelming to know what's too much. What should I be talking about? You can use the curriculum as a guide. It's developmentally appropriate. Psychologists were consulted and health experts were consulted. If you're not too sure what to talk about, that's a really great place to start. And again, that's you can find that online for free on the Ministry of Education's website. And, you know, answer what your kids are asking in a way that's appropriate. You don't want to shoot them down and, and make them feel embarrassed for asking questions because guess what? They're not going to come back and ask you again. So answer in a way that feels appropriate and that you feel comfortable with. All right, guess what, Carly? It's time for a commercial break. We are looking for sponsors. If you are interested in sponsoring Sex News with Ray, please send us a DM on Instagram at sexnewswithray or email us at sexnewswithray at gmail.com. And we're back and it's time for listener questions. So Carly, today's question, my elementary age daughter wants to learn about periods and menstruation. Where do I start? It's a great question. And it depends on how old they are. I remember when I first learned about periods, I was totally freaked out. I was petrified at the idea of bleeding from my vagina for the rest of my life. Well, not my whole life, but it feels like the rest of your life when you when you hear about it. So just start with the basics. Just say, you know what? About every month, you're going to bleed a little bit from your vagina. There's something called a pad you can use, a tampon or a diva cup. My God, 
total godsend that thing. So there are options and sometimes you may have some tummy aches or your back may hurt or you may get a headache, but you won't know until you have it. And then they might ask more questions and more questions and then you can get into the nitty gritty about it's your uterine line shutting and it means that you're at the age of being able to conceive and weave in conversations about safer sex. And when you're getting your period, that means that you can get pregnant. So when you do make the decision to become sexually active, which is likely going to be an inevitable reality for your kid, how can you be safe when you know that you're going to be on your period and talking about birth control options and all that? So it evolves with time. Just go off with what your kid's asking and then also doing your own research to see what's appropriate for that age group. I would say um, there are tons of books out there and you can do different books for different ages. There's a lot of books that are specifically about body changes that are for six-year-olds, for seven-year-olds, for 12-year-olds. And you can buy those books and you can read them at bedtime. You can leave them for your kid. You can use them as the way to base your conversation. You can also talk about your story, how you learned about periods and when you got your first period. Yes. Normalize it. For same-sex parents who are potentially raising a daughter, um, so for like, you know, I'm assuming like two men who might not have those experiences, you can also have these conversations through books and you can pull in your female community members to tell their stories and bring it up casually over dinner, right? Like it doesn't need to be a sit-down big thing. If you do it casually, it makes it less of a scary thing. One thing I hated though was the idea that you get your period and now you're a woman. A nine-year-old girl is not a woman. A 12-year-old girl is not a woman. I mean, it's up to each individual, but acting like it's this beautiful rite of passage for womanhood, like my butt mitzvah was a bigger deal. Getting your period sucks balls. It's just terrible. Yes. I was mortified when I got mine. And that's another tip for parents. I know my mom is somewhat unusual, but she was counting down the days until I got my period. She was, for some reason, just so excited. And for those of you who know my mom, it would totally make sense. She was just very excited for me to have that experience. And when I got my period, I was very embarrassed. For whatever reason, it's not rational. I remember the day. It was Boxing Day. I was in grade eight. I was watching Sex in the City. It was, like, so perfect, of course. And I told my mom, didn't make a big deal of it. And, of course, she called all my aunts and my bubby. And, oh, God. You know, shared it with the world because she was so... So proud. Her daughter is now a woman, as you just said, um, which I also did not feel. But like, there are so many other things that mark womanhood more than your uterus. And yeah, and it was my my body, my decision who to share it with. And anyway, and I love my mom. And looking back, I don't really care. But in the moment, I I remember being just so mortified. So you know, when your when your child goes through that experience. That's a very sacred moment. It's a very big milestone. So just make sure that you're checking in to see how you can support them through that. And whether that's through sharing that information, if they're too uncomfortable and they want other people to know, whether it's bringing them a warm, uh, you know, pack for their belly, if they have cramps, you know, just be there to support them because it is a big, scary milestone. You don't really know what it's going to be. The other thing, too, that I want to mention is that, you know what, it is natural and it is something that we should be thinking about in terms of it's a natural thing. It doesn't need to be something we like, but it is natural Mm -hmm. and it is nothing to be ashamed of. That being said, when you are a child and all of a sudden you're wearing diapers again, like I remember like it literally felt like I was wearing a diaper and it felt so uncomfortable and I was worried about people seeing it through, like seeing a pad through my clothing. And a lot of young girls are not comfortable Mm -hmm. with the diva cup or a tampon uh, or anything like that. And it's just, it's like genuinely between the discomfort of your body and the discomfort of the tools you have to try and absorb that liquid and the discomfort you have when you sit wrong and it tilts the wrong way. And now it's Mm -hmm. like literally all of your clothes are stained, right? Like, that's terrible. The other thing that I want to add too is that not all women get their periods. 
In September, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I don't get, I got my period once when I was 14 and then never again until I was put on the pill. So just sort of the assumption that all women get their periods and it's natural and beautiful and yes, okay, fine. And regular. I've never been regular. Everyone's experience is so different. Right. And also PCOS affects one in four women. It's a lot. It's one in four? I had no idea. Yeah. One in four. There's, I mean, I've been reading a lot of interesting like naturopathic books and there's eight different causes for it. But the idea being here that like one in four women get, have PCOS, there's endometriosis and we learn Mm -hmm. about periods and menstruation, but we never talk about all of the disorders that are actually quite the, I say disorders because they are considered either hormone or, or like endometrial and lining disorders. We never talk about those things until it's important. And they're not talked about even in women's spaces. All we talk about is the womanhood and the blessing and no, it's shitty. It's so There's shitty. Blood everywhere. I don't know a single person that enjoys getting her period. Right. And so and it just related related to that why it's so important just to tie it all together, why it's so important to have conversations starting at such a young age. When you get your period especially, and this happens for boys is their their bodies change as well and different things happen to their bodies. If you're not comfortable and you don't understand your body well enough, and I'm talking about like the fundamental basics, it makes these milestones so much more difficult. I don't know if you remember this story, Ray, but a friend of ours got her period. We were at her house. We must've been in grade nine or grade 10. And we were trying to show her how to use a tampon. And she was so uncomfortable touching her own vagina because she just grew up not talking about it and not wanting to learn about it. Yeah, She was so uncomfortable touching herself that she couldn't even insert a tampon. So imagine that. Which is so sad because tampons and diva cups are the way that you prevent some of that discomfort. But you know what? And I I get it though. I have a lot of friends who refuse. So for those of you who don't know what a diva cup is, because we're assuming you know, and you might not, it's a silicone cup. There's different sizes depending on your age. And if you've had children. And different different brands. I know diva cup is a brand. Yeah, it's the brand name. Um, it's a silicone menstrual cup that you insert in the vagina during your period. And every few hours you dump it. And it's a very environmentally friendly device. It's reusable. Oh, I'm sorry. You're supposed to dump it every few hours because I was dumping mine once a day or once every two days. Well, they recommend up to 12 hours. I don't know if if there might be some health concerns if you wait longer than that. I'm not too sure because I know that there's a a risk of toxic shock with tampons. It's not a risk with the diva I thought that was only because of the either the bleach they were using for tampons or the scented tampons. Yeah. So, yeah. So tampons for extended periods are not ideal for sure. The silicone cups are a lot safer for extended periods. You can pee with it. You can poo with it, which... It's, again, a little bit trickier with the tampon, especially if you have um, the string coming out that can get contaminated. That being said, the cup, depending on how it sits in your body, it will block your urethra depending on if it shifts or not. Your pee stream is a little weird. Things they don't tell you in the pamphlet. Yeah. And again, every body is different. And the more we talk about it and celebrate the differences and are just comfortable with ourselves, we're able to have conversations about diva cups and taking out your diva cup. So again, as I was going to say, so I have friends who are just like so revolted by their own period blood that they it's just too intense for them to use the diva cup. And again, I think this comes back to our childhood and our upbringing and the lack of conversations that yeah. we're having. I mean, you convinced me to try it. It took you years to convince me. And now I would never go back. There you go. So everyone try the diva cup. I, well, that was the thing. I was like, I don't want to touch my own blood. I don't want to be around that. I don't want to deal with it. But it's just your body. It's your own body. It's your own fluids. I would rather use a diva cup than have like the tampon wrapped in toilet paper stinking up my bathroom for a day. Yeah. Like that's and just the environmental impact to think of the 
without exaggeration, the hundreds, if not thousands of tampons saved throughout your whole right. cycle. No more is there life a period tax if you're just using a diva Not cup. in your one cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope you're not using your life 100. And, you know what I no, mean? No, but, like, yeah. like, but the you other thing it. is like, you don't need to worry about the tampon tax when you have a diva cup that lasts you literally years. And it's like 30 bucks on sale at shoppers. Yeah. And like, I keep getting these ads now for diva cup sterilizers. They're like a sterilizer yeah. cup. And I'm like, I could use a baby. Like you could get a milk bottle sterilizer for cheaper than these things. But the yeah. idea being that like they're so prevalent now. Okay. So that doesn't, I mean, I feel like we definitely went beyond your elementary age daughter wanting to learn about periods and menstruation. But she grows up into a teenager who gets her period. It's the cycle of life. So I think that even, yeah, start with books, find age appropriate books, age them up with your kid, have these open conversations. And I would say... Honestly, last thing, get the men in the house comfortable with these conversations. Yes, because if thank dad you. is uncomfortable, you. your daughter's going to learn that. If brother's uncomfortable, yes. your daughter's going to feel that. You want your son to be the kid who, when his first girlfriend gets blood stains on the sheets, he's not like, what the fuck is that? That's disgusting. He's like, don't worry, babe. Mom taught me how to do laundry. This isn't a big deal here, right? Like, it's not... I could I could never understand, and I still to this day don't understand, why they segregate sex ed based on gender problematic for many reasons first of all we know with the gender fluidity in the spectrum of our genders to separate by gender is a, a big problem and also exactly that why should it just be girls learning about their periods and boys learning about wet dreams it needs everyone needs to be educated about all genders and all experiences all sex and all clitorises clitorises yes yeah but that's a that's also another yes. whole other topic Okay, so everyone, thank you for listening to Sex News with Ray. Carly, where can people find you? You can find me on my website, mysexed.ca, and you can find all my social media handles on there as well. Perfect. You can follow the podcast at Sex News with Ray on Facebook and Instagram. You can submit your listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast or email sexnewswithray at gmail.com. Remember to include your name or pseudonym. Follow me at wifebayray on Instagram and TikTok or Razor Latex on Instagram, OnlyFans, and Patreon. This podcast is engineered and produced by Dave Meisner and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. Theme music is by Blank and Brilliant, and a special thank you to Blue Microphones.